Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, March 7th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, it is another Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. We're answering three of your Orioles questions, all coming in from you, the listener, here on this pod. The first question we'll get to is Carlos Correa to the Orioles a possibility? Then we'll talk about a prediction for when this season could start in Major League Baseball and talk a little bit about updates from CBA negotiations. And then we'll talk minor leagues, getting a question about who's going to be the best team in the Orioles minors this year. And we'll talk about which minor leaguers are going to be impacted if this lockout continues. But that's all coming up on this episode, our YouTube debut of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So if you're listening on the audio edition of this podcast, you're probably not noticing anything different. But if you're watching the YouTube video, well, first of all, thank you. Yes, Locked On Orioles is now on YouTube. Now, for the coming weeks, most of our episodes will be on YouTube as well as every episode on the audio platform. And by the time we get to April, every single episode that you can listen to, you'll also be able to see right here on YouTube on the Locked On Orioles podcast, and uh, you'll get to see my face. If that's unfortunate or not, that is to be determined, but uh, we are on YouTube here on the pod. So we'll ask you, you know, if you like watching pods on YouTube, if you want to help us out, make sure to hit that subscribe button and subscribe to Locked On Orioles on our YouTube page right here. But again, we'll still be producing podcasts on the audio content as well. We thank you so much for listening there. And in fact, we thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day because Locked On Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms and it's free and available on YouTube now to watch the podcast as well. And remember, we're the only Orioles pod out there bringing you content three days a week during this lockout. So like, follow, subscribe to the pod wherever you listen. If you're an Apple podcast or Spotify listener, give us a rating and a review on those apps. That really helps out. And if you're a new YouTube viewer, please subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. But again, just wanted to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And your first listen today, well, it's brought to you by Bet Online. And Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, again, we have a Mailbag Monday episode. And let's just get right into it. Open the mailbag. Thank you so much for your questions. If you would like to send in a question for a future Mailbag Monday episode, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter, either at LockedOnOrioles or at Connor Newcomb underscore. Tweet to those accounts, DM those accounts. The DMs are open. And we will answer your mailbag questions. But our first mailbag question of the day comes from listener Hannah via email. And this question has to do with some big news that was reported last week involving the Orioles, as there was a report from Raul Ramos, who is a member of the BBWAA, and he is verified on Twitter and writes for a publication that uh, covers baseball as well. And Raul put out a story saying that the Orioles had interest, reported interest, in Carlos Correa 
before the lockout. And he even went on to report that the Orioles may have offered a 10-year, right around $320 million deal to Correa before this lockout started. Now, obviously, even if there was an offer there, it was not accepted because Correa is still a free agent as we are still rolling through this lockout. But it makes you think, could Carlos Correa really be an Oriole? And that is our first question on the mailbag today. It comes from listener Hannah via email who says, is there really a possibility that the Orioles could sign Carlos Correa when the lockout ends? And first of all, I think my first answer is never say never. I mean, he's a free agent. The Orioles are a major league baseball team. Yeah, they could sign him. Now, on the flip side, the answer would also be no, there's no chance. Mike Elias has shown with him and the Angeloses, they are not willing to spend this money at this point. They are not willing to shell out $300 plus million on one player right now. Maybe that will happen in the future. Maybe it won't. But right now, I think they've shown that that's not the plan. And as much as I would like the Orioles to spend more money this offseason whenever the lockout ends and make this team better and spend more than just Rugnet Odor and Jordan Lyles size contracts, it's not going to happen. And the hope is that next offseason it happens, that maybe the Orioles do something similar to what the Tigers have done this offseason. No, trading for Tucker Barnhart, signing Eduardo Rodriguez, signing Javi Baez. None of those guys got $300, $400 million, but they're all good players, and they're all coming in to help the Tigers finally win again at the major league level. But here's the thing about Carlos Correa. He's got some connections to the Orioles, and frankly, it's not as crazy as it seems that the O's would maybe potentially bring in Carlos Correa after the lockout. First of all, he's got the easy Mike Elias connection. He was drafted number one overall by the Astros in 2012. That is when Mike Elias was not the GM there, but was the assistant and was pulling a lot of the strings. And they were able to cut a bit of a deal with Carlos Correa back in 2012. And he came up with the Astros. He got to the big leagues while Mike Elias was still there. He won a World Series in 2017 with the Astros while Mike Elias was still there. He saw Carlos Correa become one of the first homegrown stars of that Astros rebuild. And of course, Sigma Dell coming over from Houston as well. They've got that connection. So, you know, you never know what kind of relationship an assistant GM like Elias would have with a star player like Correa, but they know each other. They know of each other and they have a history as well. So at the very least, there is always going to be that connection. And then there's the other thing, which was reported before the lockout by Jesse Rogers of ESPN, that Carlos Correa was open to signing with a rebuilding team. He was seemingly open to signing a Manny Machado-type deal. Remember when Manny was a free agent after the Orioles traded him to the Dodgers in 2018? In that offseason, he signed his 10-year mega deal with the San Diego Padres. Now, Although the Padres did not make the playoffs last year, kind of crashed down the stretch, we know the Padres now as a winning team that's trying to compete with the Dodgers in the NL West and win World Series right now. And they've spent a lot of money, made a lot of trades, and built up that roster. But when Manny signed with the Padres in the offseason before the 2019 season, the Padres were not good. And the Padres were not good in 2019, Manny's first year there. But they pulled it together the next year. They made the expanded playoffs in 2020. And their roster going into 2021 was probably better than anyone not named the Los Angeles Dodgers. They just had so many injuries and so much bad luck that they didn't make the playoffs. But Manny bought in one year early. He didn't need to see the results in the field yet. He knew what the Padres were building towards. He knew they could give him the money, and he signed there. 
So let's imagine a world in which the Orioles are willing to shell out 10 years, $350 million for Carlos Correa. That's pretty much where his market is set at, I think, at this point, potentially even closer to $400 million. But let's say he's searching for 10 years, $350 million, and the Orioles are willing to give that out. You know, if you at least accept that as a plausible scenario, and I don't think it really is, but if you accept that, you can then move on and say, if Correa is really open to a rebuild, he's already gone through a rebuild in Houston, and the Orioles are trying to do things very similar to what the Astros did with Correa. And of course, he knows the people that are in the Orioles system already, from front office people to coaches who came over from Houston. It's not the craziest scenario. Like, this is a bad comparison, but if you said, hey, Connor, who are the Orioles more likely to sign, Carlos Correa or Trevor Story this offseason? The first answer is neither, but the second answer is Carlos Correa because he at least has, you know, those few connections to the Orioles. You know what? I don't think it's going to happen, but that report got me excited. I know it got many of you excited, and I think the door is not very open at all, but just a crack is maybe open for the Orioles to maybe, maybe go after Carlos Correa and what a move it would be. You add Correa in the middle of the lineup, he's not going to make the Orioles a contender in 2022. We know that. But when you get to 2023 and Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez have a year of Major League Baseball under their belt, Gunnar Henderson, and Kobe Mayo, and Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad are getting very, very close to the major leagues and D.L. Hall is rearing and ready to go. You get Carlos Correa, he's only on the second year of a 10-year deal. You're ready to win with him in the middle of your lineup. You go Correa two, Adley three with Mullins at the top and Mountcastle hitting fourth. I'm feeling good about where that lineup is at that point. And the other prospects are starting to come up right after that. So maybe it could happen. Maybe it could. Maybe Correa really wants to buy into what the Orioles are doing. And again, you don't not sign Correa because the Orioles have Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg and Kobe Mayo coming up on the left side of the infield. Carlos Correa is an established MLB all-star, a world champion, and a guy who performs in the postseason very well as well. I don't care about the trash can banging stuff. Carlos Correa is a fantastic player. And if there's even a little bit, a little bit in the mind of Michael Elias that says, maybe we should go after him, or maybe there was some interest in him this offseason, I would love to see the Orioles do it. I don't think they will, but I would love to see it. But we'll get on to our second mailbag question of the day in just a second. But first, you know, looking at Carlos Correa, I'm sure the odds aren't great that he signs with the Orioles, but you could find some of those odds at a place like Bet Online. And Bet Online, this is the top place for all of your sports actions, sports news, sports bets, anything you want. Because football season, yes, it's over, and, and we're waiting for baseball to hopefully come back, but we've got basketball. Look at the calendar. It is March. That means March Madness. And uh, people, we are only six days away from Selection Sunday and some of the best sports days of the year starting with the NCAA tournament. And BetOnline.net has you covered with all of it from the NCAA tournament on the men's and women's side to the NBA as well as they get closer to the playoffs. They've got all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, and more. BetOnline.net's the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. They've got your sports scores as well, podcasts, and news this season. But it's not just basketball. they got hockey, boxing, UFC, and baseball whenever that happens. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at BetOnline.net. 
where the game starts. So we get back to our mailbag Monday here on the podcast. And, you know, let's think about this because we talked about Carlos Correa. And even if that were to happen, we would obviously have to wait a little bit of time because there's still a lockout going on here. But there's been news, even though it's not good news, like we're playing baseball or good news, like the players are getting what they want. But there's still news coming out of these CBA negotiations. And the second question I wanted to get to comes from Hunter via Twitter, who has asked questions before. Hunter, we thank you so much for continuing to participate here in the Mailback Mondays. He said, what is your prediction for when the 2022 Major League Baseball season starts? And I think this is something that a lot of people are trying to answer at this point. And frankly, it's a really tough question to answer. I mean, you think about it at this point. We're not getting the real opening day. We know that because Rob Manfred already announced they have canceled the first two series of the season. But could we start by May 1st? I would hope. But it's just hard to know. And if I had to just guess right now, I'm throwing it. Uh, the pessimistic guy in me says like July 4th is when the season starts. Maybe June 1st. Maybe June 1st or maybe, you know, Memorial Day. So late May, you know, they start on kind of a holiday, um, a, a day where baseball kind of takes some of the spotlight early in the summer. Maybe Memorial Day. Let's say that. Memorial Day is my answer. So that's late May when the season might start. But, you know, that question from Hunter kind of takes us into what's happening with these CBA negotiations. And there's still a lot of talk about the money and the owners are not budging. The players continue to give things up you know, in this negotiation and the owners are not moving much towards the center. The players moving much more towards, you know, an agreeable deal. The owners are not. And remember, this is an owner imposed lockout. They could lift it if they wanted to, if they thought, you know, they were close to a deal, they could send players to spring training, finish up the deal and we'd be ready to go by March 31st, our regular opening day. But that's not what we're getting. We already know that because Rob Manfred again announced that's, first two series already canceled of the regular season. So wanted to talk about, you know, how this CBA stuff could impact the Orioles as we wait for the season, because first of all, we're not getting the first two series. So sounds like at the very most, we're getting 156 games this season. And obviously they could tack on things to the end of the year and still play 162. But it looks like the Orioles have lost series Against the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, O's are supposed to open up at home, opening day against Toronto, play three, then go to Boston for three. And you know what? In the toughest division in baseball where the other four teams are World Series contenders and you are still in a rebuild, not a bad thing maybe for the Orioles to lose games against a Toronto team that just had its offense obliterate the Orioles last year. And games at Fenway where, yes, the O's have played well historically and, yes, where they have won games recently – and yes, where the Orioles have started off the last two years with series wins, you know, taking two out of three at Fenway to start 2020 and then sweeping the Red Sox at Fenway to start 2021. So maybe I'm a little upset they won't start at Fenway again on the road, but it's still a good Red Sox lineup that did, you know, put a beating on the Orioles at times last year. So they will lose those two series. But, you know, obviously a lot of these CBA talks are about the competitive balance tax, about, you know, an arbitration pool for younger players. But, a lot of that stuff, to be honest with you, you know, I could go into detail and, you know, try my best at explaining it to you. But basically, all you need to know is the owners are trying to do everything they can to save money, not pay players and not have to try and win. 
while the players just want to get paid and want to play baseball and get paid what they're worth and try to go win baseball games. So I wanted to look at the other part of these CBA negotiations and, you know, the announcement that we got over the weekend that the players have made another concession to the owners and that they will allow the owners for 2023, not for this season, but for 2023 to, with a 45 day grace period, implement three changes to the game on the field. Those changes are bigger bases, banning the shift and a pitch clock. So I wanted to start with bigger bases. They help with stolen bases a little bit. Um, they're supposed to prevent some injury as well. It's kind of a small change um, that I think nobody will really be up in arms about. Now, banning the shift, I definitely have some thoughts on. I'm kind of in the middle on banning the shift. A lot of me wants to say, why are we telling players where they can play on the field? It's strategy to, if a player hits the ball to the right side all the time, to put three infielders over there and get more outs. You know, I heard a really good analogy on the podcast Tipping Pitches. Alex and Bobby over there do a fantastic job covering these labor negotiations and covering all things baseball. That's a really good baseball pod if you want to check it out. But they, I believe it was Alex who made an analogy. You know, it would be like telling teams like the Detroit Pistons in the 80s and 90s that you couldn't double team Michael Jordan. And when you think about it like that, you know, basically telling defenders you can't load up on one thing defensively saying you couldn't double team the best player on another basketball team. That's kind of the same thing. When you're facing a guy like Joey Gallo, who of course has been in the news because he's happy they're banning the shift because he gets shifted on basically more than anybody because of the way he hits. You know, why can't you try to get more outs from this guy? But here's another thing that I did consider a little bit. When you think about baseball, you know, there are things you can't do in the rules like you can't have a, an extra player i believe behind the catcher or starting in foul territory but when you think about other sports this is kind of the only thing that's maybe a little bit open to banning the shift because the whole argument it's going to get the ball in play more it's going to lead to more hits more action it's really just going to help big lefty sluggers who pull the ball that's about it the only thing i've concocted in my head that maybe helped me accept this when it inevitably comes is that in a lot of other sports there are some stipulations about where you can and can't play defense. Let's go to basketball, for example. In the NBA, there is a five-second defensive violation where it's either three or five seconds. On defense, you can't be standing in the lane, in the paint, because they're trying to get rid of true zone defenses in the NBA. This rule has been around for a while. If you get that violation on defense, standing in the paint for too long, the other team gets the stop play, take a free throw, and then they get the ball back. You think about in the college basketball game, that rule isn't in place, but there's a restricted area near the basket where if a defender tries to take a charge and their feet are inside the arc of that restricted area, it is automatically a blocking foul. And it's kind of a place where you can't play the same defense on the court that you usually do. Think about a sport like lacrosse, obviously popular here in the Maryland and Baltimore area. There are only a certain number of players who can be on each half of midfield at one time. Your defenders always hang out on one side of the field and your attackers always hang out on the other side of the field. It's only the midfielders who run back and forth throughout the game. So that's another sport where you're kind of restricted where you can play on the field. How about hockey? You know, they, they instituted the trapezoid rule a few years ago with goalies, where goalies uh, cannot enter the area kind of in the corner by the boards behind the goals 
because there were some goalies that were just exploiting too many things in the game because they were too good handling the puck back there. So it is a penalty if a goalie goes into that zone on the ice and handles the puck. And there's many, many more kind of examples of this. If you you know talk about volleyball, for example, uh, your back row players cannot attack the ball from in front of the 10-meter line, so they cannot attack from the front row when they're in the back row in the rotation. And your back row players also can't block when they're in the back row. They can't run up to the net and block. So these are all sports where they kind of tell you where and when you can and can't play defense. So that's the only argument I got for it. Baseball would kind of be following the footsteps of other sports. Now, they're not going to say shortstop, third base, second base, first base must stand in this exact spot. And if you move it all, you're in a shift. But they'll probably limit how many players can be on one side of the second base bag or how many players can be playing in the outfield grass or things like that. I don't like it. I think why are we stopping teams from having strategy? But that little part of me about those other sports, at least it's going to get me to, to warm up to it probably a little bit more. And then lastly, the pitch clock. I don't know how much it'll affect pace of play, but I'm here for it. Some guys take way too long. Looking at you, Pedro Baez. I like pitchers that work fast. I'll be totally fine if they institute a pitch clock. It's probably going to be a situation where they put in a pitch clock and it won't be enforced for like three or four years. It'll just be something that's there. And then eventually it'll maybe be enforced. But if we see it, I don't think it makes a big change on the game. Honestly, a lot of that being that it probably won't be enforced. But we've got one more mailbag question to answer here on our YouTube debut of the podcast and another Mailbag Monday episode. But first, you know, we are talking about things that I may not like, like, banning the shift. Why, why are we doing that? How about things that I like? That's built bar. That's near the top of the list, especially for things that help me with new year's resolutions. Because if you're looking at built bar, you look at it, you open it from the wrapper. It looks like a candy bar. You eat it. It tastes like a candy bar. So at the end of the day, you're thinking, how can this possibly be good for me? How can this possibly help me, you know, with my resolution to eat a little better here in 2022? Well, it does because these bars are not only delicious, but they're nutritious, just 130 calories in each bar. And every single one has 17 grams of protein. So it fuels you and it's good for you as well as a tasty treat. They've got these puffs as well. So it's not just the Built Bars, it's Built Puffs. The first ever protein infused marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. Great flavors like coconut marshmallow, cinnamon churro, and others. They are delicious. You can't find them anywhere else. Listen, Built Bar, the place to go to get a tasty treat that is still good for you. So if you want to get in on the Built Bar action, go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com, and you can find those promo codes again in the description of the episode as well. But that is Built.com for all your Built Bar needs. And today's episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is also brought to you by RockAuto.com. And here's the good thing about rockauto.com. You get all the parts you need, you get them at a good price, and it's in your pocket, on your phone, at your computer, whatever. Because as a person who doesn't know a lot about cars, and you know, I like the car that I drive, but I don't really know what makes it work, to be honest with you. And I don't know big differences between cars. And I especially don't know what part I'm looking for if I go into an auto parts store or a chain dealership. And if I go in there, I feel dumb, honestly, asking these questions. They ask you more intimidating questions, you know, trying to prove they know more than you about cars. That's not what happens at rockauto.com. You log on, you get a great price, you get help if you need it. 
They make it super easy. You can find anything you need without judgment. That's really the, the best part. Well, maybe the best part is the low prices. But if you would like to find the parts that you need, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com So it's a Mailbag Monday. And we've got one more mailbag question to answer here on the podcast. And it comes from Stephen via Twitter, who has asked a couple of questions on this pod before. Thank you, Stephen, for continuing to get those questions in. Who says, which of the Orioles minor league teams do you think will have the best record in 2022? And it's an interesting question because as we sit through this lockout, you know, I harp on it again and again because it's important to know the lockout does not impact the minor league teams. The minor league season, the AAA season is going to start on time less than a month from now, April 5th, and the rest of the minor leagues will start April 8th, a month from tomorrow, if you're watching this and listening to this on time. April 8th is just about a month away at this point. The minor league season is going to start either way. So it's a good question to talk about which minor league team will have the best record. And there's two things I want to get to on this. First, which team I think it's going to be and why, and second, why it won't be a team like the Norfolk Tide. So let me start there. It's not going to be Norfolk. And it's not because Norfolk's had a losing record for a while now, and the top prospects are always at Bowie. This should have been the year when Norfolk had a lot going for it. You think about a team that, you know, with Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall potentially all on Norfolk to start the season, plus a lot of these kind of fringe guys, you know, the Alex Wells and the Zach Lowthers, you know, if they don't make the team, the Isaac Matsons out of spring training, they would be with Norfolk. Here's the issue with Norfolk this year. A lot of their talent that should be on this roster, if we weren't in a lockout, is not able to be on this roster because the lockout does not impact most minor leaguers, but it does impact some minor leaguers, the minor leaguers that are on the 40-man roster. And we know the Orioles like to carry a pretty full 40-man at all times. You really never see them have less than 39 players on the 40-man roster. And when you think about it, you set a opening day roster, that's 26 guys. That means 14 guys on your 40-man are going to be in the minor leagues, you know, unless they're injured or, or other things happen. But at the end of the day, that could be 14 guys who should be playing in AAA who won't get the chance to. Let's just look at some of the names who aren't at minor league spring training right now like they should be and aren't going to get a chance to start their year in the minors even if they were guys who probably would have started in AAA despite being on the 40-man. Start with D.L. Hall. You know, coming off the big injury last year, didn't really start throwing until January, said he was going to be good for spring training. He cannot be at spring training right now with the Orioles. And tomorrow, the rest of the uh, hitters are going to report for Orioles minor league spring training. They're going to start games on March 16th, which will be open to the public, which is a great move by the Orioles that they announced earlier today. But you look at D.L. Hall, he needs these innings. He needs this time at AAA to continue to build up his strength. And as long as this lockout continues, D.L. Hall, the third-ranked Orioles prospect who missed a lot of last year with injury, still can't work out with Orioles people. Now, he's been doing a lot of work on his own. We've seen it on Instagram and on Twitter. But we want him back in the lab with the Orioles pitching people. And he can't do that. And that's going to be a huge loss for not just D.L. Hall, obviously, but for what Norfolk could do. And there's plenty of guys in that mold. 
How about Felix Bautista? He was added to the 40-man. He'd probably be on the Orioles, but there's no guarantee. Maybe he'd start the year in the Norfolk bullpen. Can't do it. All the 40-man. Logan Gillespie, the surprise add to the 40-man roster. Probably was going to get some more AAA innings this year before going to the big leagues. Can't do it. He's on the 40-man. How about Kevin Smith, the lefty, who had a lot of struggles in Norfolk last year after really dominating Bowie. He needed to start strong at AAA again. Can't do it on the 40-man roster. How about Kyle Bradish? Maybe could have been on the opening day roster in the starting rotation, but he probably would have started the year in AAA, gotten five or so good starts and gone up to the majors. No, no, no. He can't start the year when AAA Norfolk starts the year because he's on the 40-man roster. And there's just so many of these names. Reading out some others, Taron Vavra coming back from injury. He might have even been on Bowie's roster. He can't be because he got added to the 40-man. Ryland Bannon really needed a good start to this year in AAA to keep his name on the list of potential Orioles Major League infielders after a abysmal 2021 season. Can't do it on the 40-man. How about Yuzniel Diaz? He can't play baseball affiliated with the Orioles after a terrible injury-ridden once again 2021 season. It's kind of the last chance for Yuzniel Diaz. And when the AAA season starts on April 5th, he should have been in the outfield getting at bats, trying to stay healthy. Instead, he's on the 40-man. He's being locked out, just like all the major leaguers as well. And there's other names. Jemai Jones, who needs at-bats. Isaac Matson, we need a better look at. How about Tyler Nevin, a guy who you know was going to be in AAA just because he's kind of blocked by Mount Castle and Mancini and others in the majors. We needed a better look at him. No can do. So there's all those guys in effects. And it affects more guys like Lowther and Wells and Bauman, who may have started the year at AAA again. Could hurt the Orioles' minor league development of these guys who are very close to the big leagues who got added the 40-man, and now they can't do anything about it. And you know what else it's going to do? Now, Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez, they are both going to be at Norfolk to start the year because neither is on the 40-man roster. But all that talent that was going to be around them is not going to be there. So instead of having, you know, maybe Taryn Vavra in the infield and Jemai Jones in the infield and Ryland Bannon in the infield at AAA, it's going to be more guys like Patrick Dorian and Mason McCoy and maybe Richie Martin if he's back and, and you know, other guys like that and, and Caden Grenier. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing to get those guys more looks and more at-bats, but it's guys like Bannon and Jemai Jones who need those even more and that aren't going to be able to get it. So with that in mind, with it not being the Tides, I'm going to take the Aberdeen Ironbirds. And our friend Bob Phelan, who was on this podcast all last week for our Orioles minor league draft uh, that we did with the crew from BSL on the Verge. Make sure to go back in the archives and check that one out Monday, Wednesday, Friday of last week. He did a great write-up on Baltimore Sports and Life predicting the rosters, the opening day rosters, for all of the Orioles minor league affiliates. And when you look at this group, I think the Aberdeen Ironbirds could really do something this season. Now, they've struggled the last couple of years, and they had their struggles last year. They were kind of an in-between spot. They had a lot of injuries in 2021. But if you look at what Aberdeen could have in 2022 – this is going to be a very fun team to watch. And, you know, Aberdeen is fairly easy for me to get to, to watch. But, man, Aberdeen, can we please get a broadcaster in there? Please. I'll go call some games for you. Let's make it happen. Can we please get some better camera angles up there at Ripken Stadium? Because there is a broadcast on MILB-TV, but it's not great, and there's no audio. It's just not a great product for the Ironbirds. But there's going to be a lot of talent. You just think about this roster that Bob predicted and that I agree with. Kobe Mayo, Heston Kerstad, I think, honestly could be there. Maybe a quick stint in Delmarva, then he goes there. Same with Kobe Mayo. Colton Kowser is definitely going to start the year at Aberdeen. He'll probably end up at Bowie, but he'll be at Aberdeen early in the year. 
a lot of the 2021 draft guys, you know, the Connor Norbys of the world, Carlos Tavera might be in that starting rotation. Uh, you'll see some of the hitters, you know, like guys who are, you know, even returning like a, like a Ryan Higgins. Uh, maybe when Reed Trimble returns, if he does late in the year, he will be uh, at high A Aberdeen. You know, all these guys like John Rhodes will probably be in their outfield. You know, you're going to have a really interesting and exciting group of those 2021 draft picks who got to Del Marva last year. They'll probably be at Aberdeen for most of this year. And then the pitching staff, I mentioned Carlos Tavera. How about a guy like Brandon Young, who really shot up a former undrafted free agent? He should be in Aberdeen. And how about everyone's favorite, Gene Pinto? He's probably going to start the year in Aberdeen. Maybe be the ace of that staff to start the year. It's going to be a really good team for the Ironbirds. And I really think it's going to be a fun year at Ripken Stadium. I'll be at some games. Hopefully they can get a little bit better on the broadcast side. Uh, but we will see. But thank you all again for sending in your mailbag questions. Again, if you want to have a mailbag question answered on a future Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Or you can DM either Twitter account, either the podcast account at Locked on Orioles. Make sure to follow that account as well. The DMs are open. Or you can just tweet us your questions. Or you can tweet to me at Connor Newcomb underscore. Make sure to give me a follow. As you can see my Twitter handle right here if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, or DM me. My DMs are open as well. The other way that you can leave mailbag questions is you can leave them in the review section on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we really, really thank you if you rate and review the podcast. You can leave a mailbag question there. And you can also leave mailbag questions in the comments right here on YouTube now that we are on YouTube. And again, this, the debut episode of Locked on Orioles on YouTube, will still be on all your audio platforms. But now you're going to get to watch the podcast too. And when we have guests as well in the future, you'll get to see them too. It should be a good time being on YouTube here. So again, before I go, just ask that you subscribe. Hit that red subscribe button right there to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page if you can. That really, really helps us out a lot. But here on the pod, we will be back on Wednesday with a special guest. Orioles minor league infielder Caden Grenier is going to be joining the podcast, talking about his time with the Orioles so far, being drafted in the first round in 2018, being a huge part of winning a World Series, a college World Series at Oregon State in 2018, being college and minor league teammates with Adley Rutschman and kind of you know who Adley was in college at Oregon State before he really became a star. We'll talk about Caden's year last year, what he looks to do this year in the minor leagues. We'll also talk about him growing up in Las Vegas and what it's like to be from a place like Vegas. But that's all coming up with Caden Grenier on Wednesday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team? Every day.